Freedom Hut. Looks like Trump does so far have the votes. Biden won't answer if he'd pack the Supreme Court. Mitt Romney looks like a yes. The CDC changes some COVID guidance. Who should get the vaccine first and an NYPD officer spying for China? Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. You think I can speak for three hours without a phone call? Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. An honor, as always, to have you here with me. Now, let's get right to it. Looks, as of today, like Trump has the votes in the Senate to get a Supreme Court nominee confirmed and through to the seat recently left vacant by Ruth Bader Ginsburg's departure. So now we have to figure out what are the Democrats planning next? Because right now I I understand the the inclination would be for all of us to say, okay, the Republicans have every right to do this as much as Democrats whine about it doesn't matter. They have a constitutional not not only uh, clear designation for this, They have an obligation. I think that's a better way of putting it. Here is the vice president saying just that. Play 14. President Trump believes that he has an obligation uh, under the Constitution of the United States to put forward a nominee for the Supreme Court. There have been 29 times that there have been vacancies since George Washington through Barack Obama. In all 29 cases, uh, the president has made a nomination to the Supreme Court during an election year. And President Trump believes that it's his responsibility and his duty to do that again. Uh, The Senate's role is to advise and consent. uh, And uh, uh, we're working already with the Republican leadership in the Senate to make arrangements for the process to move forward. But we believe, uh, judging from uh, history, I believe uh, Justice Ginsburg uh, was uh, confirmed within 43 days of her nominations. Um, uh, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor in less time than that. So it's been done in less time. It's been done many times under the same circumstances. And there's no rule. There's no law. There's nothing to prevent it. There's not even a precedent to prevent it. So the libs are flailing right now. They're trying to come up with some argument that will turn the tide in favor for them. And they're not succeeding because we do have the ability to go back and look at what's happened in the past. And we also understand that there's the obligation of politics here, too. Why do we vote for the president as Republicans? Why do we vote for these various senators if when they finally have the opportunity to do what they have been promising to do, they don't do it. How could we think they have the courage of their convictions if they refuse to take the opportunities that come to them to fulfill promises? I mean, it would be a choice to not fulfill this promise to Republican voters. Why would they do that? Out of some misplaced sense of fair play? Got to tell you, I had been thinking that Mitt Romney would find the first opportunity possible to try and back out of this just because of spite against Trump. But it seems perhaps Mitt Romney recognizes that there's no real argument here. There's no real argument against what the president's trying to do. There's the only pseudo arguments 
bad faith arguments. I saw a piece by uh, Never Trumpers, uh, David French and Jonah Goldberg making the rounds about how what's best for our republic would be to cave to Democrat demands here under the, the promise that they then won't pack the Supreme Court as if that's a concession to us. First of all, if anyone believes that Democrats would keep a promise not to pack the Supreme Court based upon this nomination battle, they probably also believe that Jussie Smollett was attacked by two MAGA hat wearers on uh, in Chicago at one o'clock in the morning yelling, this is MAGA country. If you believe one, you probably believe the other, which is not a good indication of one's intelligence. Democrats will break their word on this. Democrats were all on the opposing side of the table in 2016. They did not or 2015. uh, No, sorry, 2016. They did not care. They simply it, it, it doesn't matter to them that they're all on the record telling us that we of, of course the president has this power in election. Of course, he should be able to. That was when they thought they could strong arm us into going with Merrick Garland. That was when they believed if they had the media and enough enough whiny law professors and former prosecutors and other people that we're supposed to revere. And I don't know why, but if we had enough of that, they believed that we would be able to. Uh, we, we would cave and they'd get what they want. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And Mitch McConnell deserves a lot of credit because they tried the pressure campaign. Then they tried all the stuff that they're making uh, in terms of arguments now. Plus, now you got to add to it. They're camping outside of people's homes. No sleep for Lindsey Graham. No sleep for uh, Mitch McConnell uh, looking for weak links in this chain. I thought Romney would be a weak link so far. We'll see. I'm not. I'm not giving Romney an attaboy until we see whether or not he actually does his duty here to the voters of Utah. KNRS, a great station out in Salt Lake City, having uh, added us to their lineup. I I know the folks in Utah, not all of them love Trump. A lot of them do. Not all of them love Trump, but they do expect somebody who is a Republican senator from the great state of Utah to support this most important of tasks for conservatism for constitutionalism and the Republican Party, getting us a judge that will truly tip the balance away from what it has been for decades. You see, Democrats have gotten a little too a little too uh, smug and, and emotionally and intellectually complacent when it comes to the court. They're so used to, at this point, just being able to count on the court coming up with nonsense, with legislation by fiat of a bunch of lawyers who have been appointed as judges. And Ginsburg was one of the best examples of that. I mean, Ginsburg was using the Supreme Court as a super legislature, which is not what it is supposed to be. But it was always the stopgap against legislation. It was a stopgap against representative form of the representative form of government that we have, our republic, that even if the people wanted wanted something, voted for someone, and that leader then tried to execute on the promise the lib Supreme Court would step in and say, nope, we see a different thing here. We see a, a right that no one else had been able to figure out in 200 years. We see uh, an interpretation of this language that's not English, but who cares? We make it up as we go along. That's what they've been doing. In fact, Mitt Romney is correct when he he points out and I look. Mitt, Mitt had his good moments back in the day. He crushed Obama in that first presidential debate. Of course, Obama went on to win. 
But it was an embarrassing performance for Barack Obama. Everybody knew it. And uh, Mitt Romney does have his capabilities. I wish he hadn't marched with BLM. That was a lame, cowardly move, but he did. But here he is, at least understanding what's going on with liberals and the court and their perception that what has been will always be. Mm -mm. Not the case. Play 17. Well, I think it's straightforward in terms of the qualifications you look for, which is someone who is an expert of the law, someone who has a record of fairness and judgment that you think is consistent with the law. Uh, I prefer choosing those folks who are, if you will, strict constructionists, meaning that they look at the law itself and the Constitution, as opposed to sort of looking into the sky and pulling out ideas that they think may be more appropriate than either the law or the Constitution. So I I recognize that we may have a court which has more of a uh, concern conservative bent than it's had over the last few decades. But my liberal friends have over many decades gotten very used to the idea of having a liberal court. And that's not written in the stars. Uh, And I know a lot of people are saying, gosh, we don't want that change. I understand the energy associated with that perspective. But it's also appropriate for a nation, which is, if you will, center right, uh, to have a court which reflects uh, center right points of view, which, again, are not changing uh, the, the law from what it states, but instead following the law and following the Constitution. What Mitt says here is correct. Truth is truth, whether it comes from Mitt Romney or anybody else. The libs just believe that there is some sanctified imaginary right to always have a liberal leading Supreme Court that will give them what they want. And people say, oh, but Buck, what about what about, you know, Bush Gore in 2000? Oh, you mean the court case where the swing vote, right? This is what we're the swing vote was like, guys, you can't just pick districts that le- that are Democrat majority districts and only recount those and pick out the ones where you think you might be able to harvest more votes and not do recounts in other places in Florida where there have been equal pro- like they, they were trying to scam the system. And it was obvious. But on all the major social issues, I mean, most notably abortion, uh, gay marriage as well, um, among others, the court's left lean has been obvious and has been unbroken. But we may enter a, a new era now and one in which we will see whether liberals are willing to abide by the rules that they were pretending were sacrosanct when they were going in their favor. Let's all be very clear about this. Democrats are effectively at this point already telling the American people, if we don't have a Supreme Court that we can count on on the big social issues that are very emotional for us and that drive a lot of the Democrat Party's power, if we don't have a Supreme Court that will do that, we will break down, subvert and destroy the system. They're, they're pretty explicit about this. I mean, here's Don Lemon, who is sometimes too dumb to be subtle or to obscure his intent, but he's definitely a big lib. Here's what he's saying over at CNN. Play 10. Everybody sticks We're going to have to blow up the entire system. And you know what we're going to have to do? No, I don't know. You know what we're going to Yes, yeah. we're going to have to do? You just got to Honestly, from what your closing argument is, you're going to have to get rid of the Electoral College. Because the people... I don't see it. Uh, because the, the minority in this country decides who the judges are and they decide who the president is. is that, you need a is constitutional amendment to do that. And if Democrats... If Joe Biden wins... Democrats can stack the courts and they can do that amendment and they can get it passed. Well, you that's need two thirds vote in the Congress and three quarters of the state legislature. They may be able to do that. Yeah. About as big a waste of time as the convention of the states project to talk about, by the way. But here we are. 
Here we are. That's what Democrats are, are promising, that they're going to be able to get a constitutional amendment, that they're going to change the whole system. They're going to change the whole system such that it comports with their desires. But we've listened to the system for a very long time, right? We, we've been obeying. We who are pro-life, we've said, okay, I mean, this is the law, even though it's immoral and wrong, but I, I, we're, we're, you know, we're not going to break the law, subvert the law. I mean, people aren't going to advocate. The Republican Party doesn't advocate for um, you know, shutting down with force the way that BLM does, shutting down with force businesses that they don't like, uh, shutting down abortion clinics. The, the, the right has not been doing that. We've said, okay, this is the law. Let's work to change the law. And now we see the little tyrannical side of the Democrats where the law is just a, an impediment to their desires. They don't care. When the system went against the right, what did the right do? Let's rebuild. Let's, uh, let's, let's win elections. And, and when the time comes and we have the legal right and authority to make certain decisions, we'll make different decisions. The Democrat view is when we have the power, that's what we do. When you have the power, we shut down the system and, and make sure that you can't use it. And people want to talk about good faith and fair play with them. I mean, are, are Goldberg and David French, are, are they? No, they're just never Trumpers who have boxed themselves in to intellectually ridiculous positions now. now among many other never Trumpers who have done the same thing. A lot of them are part of this Lincoln Project garbage. Uh, that now it's always, you know, the conservative case for abortion, the conservative case for undermining everything you believe. This is what never Trumpers have been turned into. It's re- it's quite sad, actually. It's really rather pathetic. And that's where it is. That's what we see happening. They are telling you if they don't get their way, they're going to break things. They're going to disrespect, undermine and alter the system itself. They're going to change the rules of the game. They're not going to try to win the game with fair play. This is the Democrat approach to everything in politics now, but particularly around a judicial nomination like this. This is the same thing as saying, okay, you know, you uh, you have a four you have four quarters to win a football game. We're going to change it. And now it's going to be whoever can get the most field goals in the first two quarters. That's the winner. Well, that's a totally different game. Oh, what are you? Oh, well, that's what they're going to do. Or they're just going to pay off the refs and just openly cheat. Whatever they have to do, they will do. That's what you're seeing, which is why I want to tell you right now, this pause where it feels like, well, uh, Romney is being sane, which is okay. Look, when it happens, I'll say it's a good thing. And and, you know, credit where it's due. Truth is truth. Credit where it's due. Two principles on this show. If Romney casts the right vote here, we're going to say, hey, high five to Mitt Romney for not being a total sellout coward. Good job. Uh, But I don't think we can get there yet. Well, obviously, it won't. It hasn't happened. But I don't want us to become complacent at all. Remember the analogy I use, right? This is a rabid squirrel that we're injecting meth into. No one really knows how this is going to turn out. This is going to be crazy. The libs aren't going to just quietly allow this process to play out. They're going to go full Alinsky on this. Yeah, they have no parliamentary procedure to play. They, they have no means of stopping this. It would be like trying to stop a presidential pardon. I mean, the president's allowed to pardon who he wants to pardon, but they're going to go to that level of what if we take the pen out of his hand? What if we 
don't allow him to you know write it down what if what if we prevent the president from you know that's what we're going to see i believe that they're going to physically block members of congress from being able to hold a session i i think that they're going to do things that right now if you said out loud people would call you a, a someone who's being uh you know worrying too much who's being hyperbolic no i think that's what we're going to i don't know what it is yet but but always leave room for crazy my friends i've been saying that to you for many years always leave room for crazy and these democrats are completely nuts and will do anything that they think will be successful to stop this supreme court nomination you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast Well, the Democrats are going to hang together, and I think the American people would be very interested to know that is it asking too much to have Republicans actually live up to their word? Already we see that Lindsey Graham uh, is not, that we see that Mitch McConnell is not, so Republicans can't be trusted to keep their word, and the American people should know that. We will explore every tool that we Democrats have to uh, keep Mitch McConnell from shoving this nominee down our throat. They're going to come up with stuff that you and I can't even think about right now because they're emotionally deranged over this Ruth Bader Ginsburg seat. Uh, George Stephanopoulos, wife, it was reported in Daily Mail. I, I forget her name. She's like a third third tier actress or was uh, she. Cried for 45 minutes. Obviously, this was told to the press. It cried for 45 minutes with her whole family in the car when they heard Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. That's bizarre. That's not normal. You don't know this person. You don't love this person. You have no relationship with her. You're going to cry for 45 minutes with your whole family because a judge, who we all know is really a political figure, passes away at the age of 80, whatever it was? Really? They think that's normal, folks. They think that's sane. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Another rule for life, not just for politics, but for everything you do. Never take advice from your enemy about what's best for you. Okay? Don't take advice from people who don't want to see your future uh, go well, who don't want to see you succeed. When they say, hey, you know what you should really do? Listen to that thing and do the other thing, right? Listen to that thing that they're telling you and then go back to whatever you know is a better option and feel even more confident in it. That's how you should feel about people like Nancy Pelosi coming out to tell you that this is bad politically for Republicans. It's going to be like the 2018 midterms, right? Here, here she is. That's it, Pelosi. Play eight. The people know that, and that's why they're, the Republicans are rushing. They want to get it done so they can overturn the Affordable Care Act. And you know what? They're going to be paying this price for elections to come. Elections to come. Everyone's looking at what makes a difference in these uh, uh, senatorial races. We'll see. But what they don't really understand is they're going to see 2018 again and again and again. I could not be more ironclad. 
It could not be more clear to any of us who are paying attention to this that Nancy Pelosi telling Republicans that if they put through this Supreme Court uh, justice, whoever it may be, we don't know yet. I think it's I think it is going to be Amy Coney Barrett, but could be wrong. But Pelosi telling you that this would be bad for Republicans is an is a 100 percent certainty. That Republicans will pay a terrible price if they don't do this, which we already knew anyway. But notice how shameless she is. Oh, yeah, sure. It's going to be so bad for this is just whining. Republicans, you're going to lose forever if you do this thing. I promise. No. The Republican Party would be massacred in the next election if they didn't at least do everything they can. Now, when I say everything they can, I'm, I'm worried that, you know, Democrats are going to go to a whole other place that I, I can't even psychologically really get there. Yet. I'm like, how? Remember, they were willing to lie about a man who was manifestly innocent of any wrongdoing. They were willing to read into the congressional record as Kamala Harris, the current vice presidential nominee, did. Unsubstantiated, completely outrageous and insane and obviously false gang rape, high school gang rape allegations about now Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh. If you're willing to do that, you have no morality that will stop you from doing something. It's just a question of, are you worried about the punishment for doing certain things, illegal things, for example, open violence to stop this from happening? You know, one of one of the reasons why Democrats, I think, wouldn't necessarily go the open violence route to keep the seat uh, is because there are enough people who believe in the law and law and order that they would be punished for that. Because I do worry. I worry there are going to be threats of violence. I'm sure there already are against the various Supreme Court nominees, but that they'll become more intense. Yeah. And Republicans, we do not do a good enough job of protecting our people who fall under this ring of hatred from the left. I mean, all of a sudden, it's like the eye of Sauron pops up and is focused on one person on the right. And we all say, oh, you know, I hope they've got a nice uh, personal security detail or something. We do not do enough. Never happens in the left. When was the last time a prominent Democrat had a mob of morons outside his or her home shouting threats and epithets and insanity over a political issue? We don't do that. They do. Look, not all political parties are created equal, my friends, or are equal. Not all of them are are similar in their in their aspirations, their morality, their culture of respect for rule of law, for open discourse, for human and individual freedom. They're not all the same. All right. You know, the the Bolsheviks winning in the Soviet Union was not just something that had to happen and, well, it would have been the same if any, but no, it would not have been the same if some other party had won. It would have been better, almost certainly. I don't see it's possible how it couldn't have been. Right. Uh, you know, and then people, and then look, I don't like the Nazi analogies that Democrats do all the time, but, you know, the Nazis were democratically elected. They cheated and threatened people and used coercion, but Nazis were democratically elected in Germany. So it's not like that's it. That's impossible. But, there were clearly much more moral political options in Nazi in Germany before it became Nazi Germany. Uh, I'm just trying to tell you folks, 
you know, that when I say the Democrats have gone insane and their party has really lost its way, I, I'm not not exaggerating. I'm not saying it for attention. It's true. It's clear. Look at what is normal for them. And it's not normal for us. And anybody can see it. Conservatives sit around saying, OK, what are the laws? What really matters? How do we protect people? How do we make sure that everyone has, you know, as, as good and safe and prosperous and happy a life as possible? Democrats, it's this makes me feel upset and I will ruin your life because of it. That is their ethos. And they will even threaten your life because of it now. I mean, I always see these insane libs, the things that they send me. Here's a rule. Uh, if you ever, you know, and I know no one who listens to the show would ever do such a thing, but if one ever sends a threat against a person or his family because they don't like that individual's politics, uh, they're a loser. That person is a loser and somebody who really needs to reexamine all their life choices. It's a rule. Nor- normal, happy, well-adjusted people do not do that. Okay? And, and we should all understand that the Democrat Party has now gone to a place where it's, it's ideologically incoherent. You have all these different factions that don't really share any philosophical core other than the pursuit of power, just raw power. We'll band together so that you know, you can get what you want and I can get what I want with the Democrat Party. That's it. There's no real philosophy other than moral relativism and whatever it takes whenever you need to do it. So it's uh, it's effectively pushing us toward a, a thugocracy, especially as they're openly talking about destroying the very institutions that keep this country together. They they complained from the beginning of Trump's presidency about how he's tearing, how he was tearing down institutions. He did not tear down any institutions. It's not true. All right. And he did. And I would have liked to have seen him go after some things more than he did, but he didn't tear down institutions. That was a lie. But beyond that, beyond that, they now openly threaten to destroy the very institutions that they pretended to care so much about for the first few years of Trump's presidency. Again, there's just hypocrisy, flip-flop. It doesn't matter. They'll say today something that's in direct contradiction to what they said yesterday or last year or 10 years ago and never explain any transformation in their thinking. It's just, well, I want this thing now. Democrats are the equivalent of someone who says, yeah, I don't think it's fair for me to pay rent. Tell the landlord that I don't want to pay. And then someone who is a renter from them turns around and says, well, I don't want to pay you rent. They say, no, I'm the landlord. You have to give me money. That's what our contract says. Is there a principle there? No, of course not. It's just they want what they want. And that's the plan. That's all that matters. So we should understand that right now. And that's why it's, it's hilarious to me when you hear Chuck Schumer making a making a, a case, making an appeal to Honor and decency. Oh, gosh, Chuck. Play nine. In the kind of country we live in, this election and this vacancy mean everything. And by all rights, by every modicum of decency and honor, Leader McConnell and the Republican Senate majority have no right to fill it. No right. In the final few weeks, sensing her failing health, Justice Ginsburg told her family that it was her, quote, most fervent wish that she not be replaced until a new president is installed. First of all, they have every right legally, by precedent, by history, by the system. They have every right. There, there is no question about this. 
They're breaking no law, no regulation, no constitutional norm. So they, in fact, have every right. What he's doing is just gaslighting. But also, and and I want to really put this delicately so the libs in the way, way back who are quietly listening to this because they know that I'm smarter than all the libs that they listen to and they want to understand why is this guy so much smarter than all the Democrats that are trying to feed me, you know, crap on their podcast. I don't give a blanking blank about what Ruth Bader Ginsburg told her family in the last. That's for her and her family. It shouldn't even be publicly discussed. It has zero bearing on anything. Do not care. Would say this anywhere to anyone. Do not care at all what she said. I, I don't care if her last words were, you know, I'm actually a space alien from the planet Zargon or my my fondest constitutional dream is that the next president and not Trump doesn't matter. It's the same thing. Same thing in terms of it matters to me. Zero. It matters to the law, to the Constitution, to our system. Zero. But they keep repeating this. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. But let's remember who we're dealing with. While it's irrational, while it's not a real argument, it does drive an emotional response. It does go to this cult of RBG that was created over many years and that had, as I've said to you, people who think that they're really hip and cool praising the amazing fierceness of the RBG gym workout, which is just it was a weird thing. It was a it was creepy cult like thinking from people. But you're not dealing with uh, normal adults here, my friends. You're dealing with people who now believe that with the passing of Ginsburg, the entire country is at stake, which also goes to show you how much emphasis they put on the Supreme Court as a super legislature and how much they've gotten used to this. And it it really unsettles them. You know, they they think the foundation of this country is I get what I want. And if I don't, at least I know that at the end of the day, the Supreme Court will give me what I want. And on the on the issue of abortion alone. For how many decades now have people been raised with this? It's constitutional. It's the law of the land, which, of course, it is not. It is not constitutional. It never was constitutional. It is violence to the Constitution to even pretend that Roe v. Wade was well decided. Honest liberals, honest legal scholars on the liberal side will even say they'll say that they think that abortion should be legal. And here's why. Right. But they'll say that the the reasoning in Roe is preposterous. Right to privacy that creates it's just it's, you can do this with anything. But that's the whole point. Libs want to be able to do whatever they want through the law and pretend that it's the law which, in fact, undermines the very foundation of our legal system every time they engage in in that practice. But imagine what it's like for them to wake up and realize that, no, you no longer can just just shout people down with, it's the law. It might be the law in some states, not the law in other states. There was a period of time on a profound moral question in this country. A profound evil was being done in this country, and there were some states that were legally much closer. They weren't where they, of course, should have been at the time, but they were much closer to being righteous than others. There were the evil pro-slavery states and the states in which a, a black American could live in freedom. 
not equal rights, not. And that's what I meant by it wasn't perfect. But, you know, one side was right and one side was wrong on that. And once we get away from the constitutional uh, umbrella decision, I mean, there's this make believe of Roe v. Wade. Now people are going to have to say, OK, at the state level, what should the law really be? It's not just going to be this blanket protection for the practice all nine months of a pregnancy, which is the Democrat standard right now. And it's a super right as well. You can't even block access to a clinic and you get they, they create all these special exceptions and carve outs to protect this this practice. A practice that is morally odious and evil. Slavery was morally odious. It was evil. Abortion is also odious and evil. And the, the whole the whole lib mentality of the last 50 years will get a new look. Well, all of a sudden it'll have to defend itself. I can't just say that's the that's the law. Deal with it. That's the law. Deal. with. It. We have been dealing with it. We may not have to keep dealing with it. And that's what the liberals really can't accept. Chuck Schumer's claims about decency and honor are laughable. He's a man with neither decency nor honor. So in that sense, he's the perfect spokesperson for the Democrat Party right now. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 62 percent of Americans think that the Supreme Court seat should be uh, filled by the uh, nominated by the new president. 62 percent of Americans We're currently being ruled by minority in this country. Um, and uh, Act Blue raised 100 million dollars since Friday. The Democrats are mobilized against this outrage that is going on with these hypocrites in the Republican leadership positions. And you know something? This they are so beneath uh, any kind of uh, shamelessness that it's impossible to even talk to these people. So, you know, you were going to show the clips of them and the stupid things that they'll hypocritical yeah, lying things yeah. that they've been saying. Joy Behar may be the dumbest person on TV, but she understands the Democrat mindset. She, she gives really uh, a really clear picture of what Democrats think right now. Republicans are beneath contempt for doing something that they are clearly and there's no question about this, clearly, legally, constitutionally allowed to do. And they keep referring to the hypocrisy of Mitch McConnell. That's a lie. Mitch McConnell, the Senate is not in the hands of the opposition. That's the McConnell rule. I don't know. I mean, they, they just, they're just desperate saying everything and anything, which is why I'm telling you they're living in an alternate universe. They have no argument here. Tough Blank is all I can say to them. Tough. They have nothing. You know, it's kind of like they lost an election in a sense, right? They lost the election in 2016. The Supreme Court seat's open. Too bad. Maybe they shouldn't have been all encouraging Ruth Bader Ginsburg to keep going and going and going and going. I mean, she was too old for the job. That's just reality. No one's allowed to say that for some reason, but she should have retired. Just for political purposes, I'm talking about now, the Democrats made it. There was a calculation here. You know, they thought Hillary was they wanted Hillary to replace the Ginsburg seat or, you know, well, too bad. Too bad, Libs. That's really the that's really the headline here. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
Name one liberal justice nominated by a Democrat that had their life ruined. Uh, they're talking about changing the Electoral College. If they keep the House, the Senate, and the White House, this country will change fundamentally. The Electoral College will be uh, uh, obliterated, will go to a popular vote. D.C. and uh, the, uh, Puerto Rico will become states. There'll be 104 senators. Uh, it goes on and on and on. There'll be additional members of the Supreme Court. They'll all be liberal. They're going to take the process, the rules, and change them to their benefit. Now, that sounds scary, right? Perhaps you could try to comfort yourself by saying, well, it's politics. Things get heated and... You know, it always gets more attention to be a catastrophist. It always will get you more attention. It's a better soundbite to say that everything is going to be destroyed. Everything is going to be ruined. But here's what I got to say in, in defense of Lindsey Graham or, or just in furtherance of what Lindsey Graham is saying here. He's just telling you what the Democrats are telling you. They're, they're openly threatening this. They're saying they will do this. And yet when you hear Republicans say it, you think, I mean, come on, they're not really going to do that, are they? Oh, yes, they will. Oh, yes, they will. Friends, they tried a soft coup against the president of the United States based on a lie. Some British bureaucrat loser, ex-MI6 guy, asked a couple of his buddies what they had heard from other buddies about Trump, wrote it up, called it a dossier, and then fed it to the FBI and the American anti-Trump news media and tried to engineer a coup against the president. And this went all the way to the special counsel, the entire national news media, with you know, the exception of a one network and a few or whatever. Five uh, percent of the media wasn't on board for this. Everybody else went along with it. That was what they did. They've never apologized. They've never even had any uh, any sense of shame from it. In fact, their only problem with it is that it did not succeed. And we think that the Democrats are just going to let this process play out as it is. And we think that if they were to win this election, they would not do everything they could to abuse as much power as possible. They will transform the system and it would be a transformation into what they wanted it to be all along anyway. They don't like this bulwark against their tyranny that the Constitution provides. They don't want protections for individual rights and and minority i don't mean racial necessarily i just mean minority viewpoint rights they don't want that they want the power to tell you what to do the democrat party is a socialist party they are socialists socialists are first and foremost you always hear about it as oh making sure everyone has enough or whatever no socialism is always about the implementation of a plan There are a bunch of people who have an idea that's going to make everything better for everyone, but they demand obedience and and no check on their authority to do the thing that they need to do. The plan, whether it's the Green New Deal or any number of these uh, Democrat plots to increase their power and their ability to have a say over everything in your life. You're not allowed to push back. You're not allowed to say, hold on a second. There should be some humility in government processes. Government can do a lot of damage. In fact, it does do a lot of damage to people's lives on a regular basis. We should have some agreement beforehand about what the rules are, what the government can and cannot do. Democrats want to erase all of that. They're telling you they want to erase all that. This is not some theory that I've come up with. I'm not seeing something that nobody else thinks is there. They're open about this. Understand 
what the stakes are then in this presidential election year where it's effectively if we don't win, we will burn everything down. We will break the whole system. That's what these riots for months have been about. It's been it's a vent of it's a ventilation. It's a, a exposition of rage. That has built up among Democrats and under four years of Trump, they don't think they can emotionally and psychologically handle four more years. And they're letting us all know, if you think you're allowed to vote for this guy again, think again. We're going to come up with a way to stop you. We're going to come up with a way to break the very process that legitimizes this fascist dictator known as Donald Trump. These people are, simply put, nuts. They have lost it. And they believe that all that they hold dear is on the line right now. They're ratcheting this up. Republicans have for a long time now lived with a court that slaps them in the face with bad decisions. We've never we never say we're going to pack the court. We never say we're going to destroy the whole system because it did not give us a desired outcome. That's not our approach. It is the Democrat approach. There's a difference here. The two sides are not the same. Here is socialist AOC talking about what she views as on the line here if the Republicans fill this seat. Play 21. It's extraordinarily important that we understand the stakes of this vacancy. Our reproductive rights are on the line. Our labor rights are on the line. Our right to health care is on the line. Labor and union protections are on the line. Our climate is on the line. With an early appointment, all of our rights, the rights that so many people died for, voting rights, reproductive rights, health care rights, all of those rights go right, go are, are at risk with this appointment. And so we need to make sure that we mobilize on an unprecedented scale to ensure that this vacancy is reserved for the next president. Mobilize to what end? Republic, this is do or die for every Republican senator's career. They know that. If, if you're a Republican and, and you don't, I mean, you know, Murkowski and Collins, they're done. People recognize who they are. Um, you know, maybe people would say, oh, it's a political calculation. The Republicans want them for some things. They'll let them on this because they have the votes. All right, may, maybe theoretically, but the part, it, that's only because they have the votes without them. Trust me, if they were if they were two necessary votes in this process, no Republican would ever want to cast a ballot for either of them ever again. We understand what the stakes are. She is telling you AOC here is telling you that they're going to do an unprecedented mobilization. What's the point? What's the point of that mobilization? We know what they think. We know what they want. They're not going to change our minds. It's not going to happen, but there's a, I believe, an implied menace to all of this. The Democrat Party has been mobilized for months. We see it on the streets, demanding people bend the knee, literally bend the knee, demanding people profess their allegiance to a Marxist racially divisive movement known as Black Lives Matter. 
demanding that people stop in their cars and quake in fear or else burning down businesses, setting fire to government buildings, attacking police officers, shooting lasers in their eyes, throwing bottles full of urine and feces at them. That's what the Democrats have done for mobilization. You know, they could have had peaceful marches across the board where they invited Republicans to come down and talk to them. They wanted to convert people. They wanted independence to understand that Democrats would provide better governance, better quality health care, more for. No, no. Instead, you've got a bunch of maniacs who justify political violence and who think that if you don't believe there are 37 genders, you're an evil anti-science bigot. That's the Democrat Party today. And then let's just look at a couple of the areas, a couple of the issues that AOC outlines for being under assault here. Our reproductive rights. I know we often don't put it in these terms, but given what Democrats are willing to justify as part of the abortion industry, what do you think they're really not willing to do to their fellow human beings? I, I, it's, a, it's a harsh question, but I think it's an important one. Ask a Democrat politician, should you be able to abort a baby at eight, nine months, uh, eight, nine months in the womb? And they will say yes. I mean, they might try to dodge the question. But ultimately, they will say yes. If they're willing to do that, do you think that they have some guiding moral compass on other issues that's all of a sudden humane and decent? No, I'm, I'm afraid that they're. Their moral compass, I'm afraid that their very souls themselves become corrupted in this process. And when somebody who has been a party to evil ideas for a long time is challenged on them and might have to face the reality of the widespread recognition of the moral deficiencies of those ideas, they become desperate. Nobody wants to think they're the bad guy or the bad girl. Nobody wants to think that. Sometimes... The mirror shows you things you don't want to see. Climate is on the line. They believe, and I'm not exaggerating this, I'm not uh, going beyond the most mainstream rhetoric from the most powerful Democrats in the country. They believe that climate is an existential crisis that threatens the entirety of the human race. Our species will go extinct unless you listen to people like Gavin Newsom and take shorter showers and use renewable energy that is hyper expensive and very inconvenient right now. That's mainstream Democrat thinking. They really believe this. I still can't get a great deal on beachfront property in Palm Beach, despite the science. But you're supposed to believe this, friends. You're supposed to believe 20 years, 30 years. It's all going to be underwater. OK, sell me those beach. Sell me the Obama mansion in Martha's Vineyard for, you know, couple of hundred grand i'll pay a couple of hundred grand i could probably take out a bank loan and afford that i think he paid 11 million for his house but i thought it's all going to be underwater but they believe they've convinced themselves it is an existential issue for the human race what would you be willing to do to save the human race what would you be willing to do to protect the legacy and future of your party from the recognition of its deep moral stain with the abortion practice of the last 40 some odd years. What would you be willing to do? I can't tell you I know what their plan is, but we're about to find out. 
This is the calm before the storm, and it's not even that calm because we're in an election cycle. But we've got a few days here while all that's happening is there's there's silence as the enemy, so to speak, is preparing its artillery shells and getting all of its magazines in order for an all out assault. That's where the Democrats are right now. Will it be successful? I don't know. I certainly hope we'll be able to hold the line. But they're not going to go quietly on this, friends. They have no real legal recourse. They have no mechanism within our system to stop this. So you're effectively guaranteed they will go outside the system or break the system. That's it. There is no they sit back respectfully and allow the game to be played by the pre-established and agreed upon rules. That is not an option for these Democrats. Do not be fooled. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I don't believe that Donald J. Trump, Donald J. Trump, people, gets to name three justices to the Supreme Court. The guy can't even name three branches of government, but he gets to name three justices who serve for life. This is the same guy who's had to fire everyone he's hired because of how bad he is at hiring people for life. Trump can't even pick his own partner for life, but he gets to do it for America. Wow, this country's rock and roll. Wow, this guy's not funny. Amazing. Really, really a a stunning circumstance and situation that Trevor Noah is a comedian who focuses on American politics, uh, despite being wildly ignorant of them. Nonetheless, here we are. Yeah, uh, the president does get to pick three. Cry more, libs. I don't know what else to say. This is the system we have. You know, when Barack Obama won re-election in 2012 and, you know, just kicked Mitt Romney's butt after kicking John McCain's butt, my, I, was an, I was annoyed. I thought the American people made the wrong decision. And then I thought, OK, let's, you know, prepare to make the argument and be in political opposition to bad policies and get ready for the next election. That's what adults do. That's what serious people with principles and values and a sense of history and a need for stability and continuity within our system. That's what they do. That is not what Democrats do. And they're promising. I mean, I'm I'm not making this up. They're promising that that is not what they will do. But there's another issue here. Biden is not willing to tell people who he is going to put, who he would put forward as a Supreme Court nominee. Isn't that an interesting one for a second? Play clip 20. Joe Biden has refused to list the names of his potential justices because he knows they're too extreme to withstand any form of public review. If Joe Biden and the Democrats take power, they will pack the Supreme Court with far left radicals who will unilaterally transform American society far beyond recognition. Let's all really dig into this for a second. Producer Mark, do we have uh, Biden actually saying that that's all he's got to say on that? I, I don't know if we we do know that. One. Oh, OK, because uh, I know that he said there is a clip of it. But anyway, um, he, he's he's just basically said, I don't want people to focus on me. Let's focus on something else when he's asked who he would appoint or would he put forward a list even you know, give him some time to pull together the list. Shouldn't he have a list? He wants to be president of the United States. You don't think there are a lot of left wing legal groups out there that have already thought long and hard about which judicial activist left wing climate change alarmist nut job they're going to put on the Supreme Court. 
trust me, they've thought about this. Why won't Biden tell us? Well, this gets you back to a, a continuing theme between Democrats and Republicans. Republicans tell people what they want to do. Right? And then they try to do it in office. Sometimes they're unsuccessful. Sometimes they... Democrats don't want the general public to know what they're really going to do because they won't win any independent votes if people actually knew how crazy they were. So Democrats always pretend to be less Democrat when they're up for election. If anything, Republicans are often not Republican enough. They lose votes because the base doesn't believe them. You know, Republicans lose votes because people on the right think that they'll become a, you know, a chicken when they get to D.C. and they will be a crony capitalist chamber of commerce stooge. Democrats are, oh, we're not that crazy. No, we wouldn't do that. We're, we're centrist, man. We're, my, we're Joe Biden's party, man. Yeah, sure. And then the activist class gets to make all the decisions when it actually when push comes to shove. And then the socialists are the ones who get on TV, who run the party's agenda, who push for the most radical. I mean, look, Obama wanted single payer health care and couldn't get it because they didn't have enough Democrat support for it. But that was what they were initially going for. Obama wanted amnesty. And Republicans almost went along with it. And Obama tried to get massive climate change uh, regulations done, rules and uh, and laws passed. Uh, How much more left wing is he really going to be under the circumstances of the time? I know I know that he couldn't go full Karl Marx, but certainly moving in that direction. But we're reminded here, Biden won't tell people what Trump says is absolutely true. Biden will not tell people who he would put on the Supreme Court because it would be a left-wing activist and people would get to know exactly what the Democrat plan for that seat is. Gotta hide the truth, people. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back then, we were not aware that 40 to 45 percent of people were asymptomatic, nor were we aware that a substantial proportion of people who get infected get infected from people who are without symptoms. That makes it overwhelmingly important for everyone to wear a mask. So when people say, well, why did you change your your stance and why are you emphasizing masks so much now when back then you didn't? And in fact, you even said you shouldn't because there was a shortage of masks. Well, the data now are very, very clear. And that's why we have to act on the data. So we need to put that nonsense behind us about, well, they keep changing their minds. Masks work. Physical distancing works. Avoiding crowds work. Thank you, Sanjay, for giving me the opportunity to be on television now to say that. That is the fact. So people should not worry that that's wrong or worry that that's something that's going to change. This is where we are, and it's based on fact. Okay, where are the studies that show the reduction in transmission from mask wearing? I'm just wondering. I ask that question honestly. Uh, I'm sure there are some. There are probably some studies. I, I just why why don't we see them all the time? Why is it that Sweden doesn't have masks required and is now at basically zero, close to zero deaths a day, and very very few infections, and is, has no plans to shut down? 
The UK currently is about to shut down. Wait, I thought that America was in a bad place this summer from COVID because we're such a bunch of, you know, red state Bible thumping Trump supporting morons. Right. That was what the media was telling us all summer. But now Europe is having its second wave. Oh, wait, maybe, maybe what you do by locking down is delay the spread of the virus in a community to a population of people. You don't stop it. Is, is that is that a theory that that holds water? I mean, someone give us some thought on your own. But Fauci here saying, oh, we didn't realize that there was all this asymptomatic. There was this asymptomatic spread that was going on. And we thought there was going to be a mask shortage. How much confidence can I have in this guy's judgment when he really thought that the United States of America was going to run out of bandanas and cloth masks? Anybody? We're going to run out. We can't, can't wear a mask because we're going to run out of masks. No, we're not. But not even close. Now they're giving out. I go to places they're giving out masks. Oh, here you go. Here's a mask. Yeah, it's um, the, the issue here, as always, has been is this aerosolized in a way that mask wearing is largely ineffective or largely effective. If it reduces, you know, the transmission of the virus by 5%, it's not worth the hassle. It's just not for a virus that kills 0.001% or 0.03% or whatever it is now of the people who get it. But we're going to be wearing masks forever now, folks. That's the new rule, at least for another year. And as I've been telling you, the Democrat plan is not to finally relent and let America have its uh, have its life back. The Democrat plan is to use our fear, our frustration and the almost unrestricted powers that they now have in order to uh, ram through policies that they want and to and to change our political culture too into one of obedience. Do it because we say so. Wait, hold on. Don't I have rights? Don't I have liberties? No, you don't. You have what they tell you you have now. Oh, interesting. Um, you know, the, the Dr. Fauci here is never this guy's this guy's not not honestly a person of judgment, not a person that I would want to listen to for a personal health need. Like I wouldn't go to Dr. Fauci and be like, oh, yeah. This guy says that this is my big health problem. I got to tackle it the way that he says. Nope. No faith in this guy whatsoever. But of course, Trump can't fire him because then that would seem like he's, you know, political. It would just give them a narrative before the election. It doesn't really serve. I think any, I don't I don't think it serves a purpose. It's a political calculation not to fire him at this point. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, they did change their minds. And the fact that here you have a scientist who is kind of smarmy about the whole mind changing issue. Uh, just goes to show you that, you know, they don't want anyone questioning them. They don't want anyone saying, hold on a second. What is this all about? Uh, you know, sure enough. Now, now, now we're at we're at asymptomatic spread. So everyone has if asymptomatic spread is what they say it is, they'll have a case then that we'll have to wear masks uh, all the time for years and years to come, because who knows if maybe it's a covid-19 variant now and it could come back and you don't know you could have it. There is only one thing at this point that I want to tell Fauci and the uh, the lockdown chorus, and it's two words. And the second one is you. And the first word is I can't say it on radio. That's what I want to say to them. I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm sick of this. They've been wrong 
all along. And now we're getting into the, the, the politics even of the aerosolized virus. You see this with the CDC. They changed their guidance on this. They said it was a draft. It wasn't yet ready. That's kind of a big thing, isn't it? You're the Centers for Disease Control. People have been wondering for a while, like, what you really do. And then COVID-19 comes along. And, oh, okay, now we've got a purpose. And, and you mess up the whole thing from the start. You mess up the testing kits when it was most useful to know how fast and where the virus was spreading. And now you put out that the virus is spread through aerosol as opposed to droplets. And this, this is a pretty, uh, this, is, this is an important distinction. Droplets is spit and things coming out of your mouth, and including when you talk or sing or, you know, do things like that. Um, droplets would be actual physical carriage of the virus in, in fluid. Even, you know, very small. But and you, the idea here is that, OK, well, a mask will stop those droplets from being in the air. Aerosolized virus, which is what the CDC guidance just was temporarily. And then they took it down. They changed their minds would be, well, just by speaking, the virus is actually getting into the air in in micro droplets that evaporate. But then you still essentially you have virus clouds in the air around people when they're talking. Right. And viruses are all over our environment all the time. So this shouldn't be a surprise. There's virus all over. There's virus right now on your hands. There is virus on your body. There's virus in your mouth. Not covid, but although maybe. uh, But there you know, these viruses are in our environment, just like bacteria, just like all these other, you know, go back to your basic sixth grade science class. It's all over the place. But the aerosolized virus claim, that was so interesting because, oh, so it's can linger in the air and it's so small that it can stay suspended in the air for a couple of hours. That was what the CDC guidance was now saying. But people that are walking around with the mask down so their nose is a little bit exposed or that have gaps above the mask and below the mask, they're totally protected from this. Right. Um because of the magic properties of virus protection. I'll tell you this, the uh, the cloth masks that people are wearing would not work as a as a prophylactic device during amorous moments to prevent you from having children. Right. It's porous. But the cloth mask is supposed to protect you from the aerosolized droplets in the air that now the CDC is saying, well, no, that's not really a thing. That's not really a thing. I'm, I'm just putting out there. Do we think it's possible that at a time when we've already we've already heard the CDC told us that they were they were adjusting their their um, dictates, their guidance, they call it. But it's really a dictation. We're supposed to do what they say over mask wearing because they were worried that people would that the healthcare providers would run out. So they lied to us for our own good on that one. Right. They, they've admitted that. But now when we're about to enter the second right when they were supposed to be finding out about a vaccine, we're going to enter a second wave of panic here. This is what they want to do. No, or really, no, I'm sorry. A third wave of panic about a, a fall winter wave of this virus. And they're shutting down their own guidance that was published, but they said it was a draft and they weren't ready yet. That says that the virus is so small that it stays in the air once an infected person has been breathing there for hours. And you're supposed to believe that a loosely fitted piece of cloth over your mouth and nose is is a, a serious means of protecting yourself from that.
Okay. Don't ask any questions. Don't don't ask any questions. Now, does it protect you at uh, at some level? You know, is it b- better to have one than I mean, maybe under certain circumstances, maybe it's 5%, 15% more effective than to not have it because yeah, maybe some of the particles are big enough that they get But this idea that mask wearing is is the panacea, which is really what we've been led to believe now. We've gone from don't wear a mask to maybe to sometimes to, oh, my God, masks will cure us all. That's now the new theory. Masks will stop this thing in its tracks. If only you did more and wore more mask. No, not buying it. Not buying it. This wasn't the guidance for uh, influenza seasons in the past when people were dying in large numbers, tens of thousands, not quite 200,000, but tens of thousands dying from uh, pandemic disease uh, during influenza season. So, you know, they don't, they don't want you to ask any questions. Just do, just obey. That's the, that's the new way forward, they'll tell you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Dr. Anthony Fauci overnight made clear that he thinks we will be and should be wearing masks probably for all of 2021. Yeah, you know, that's that's the thing. People talk about the vaccine, which I think people are optimistic about, although we still haven't seen data on that. That's another issue. People have creating all these schedules and uh, the the sort of uh, being optimistic about it. And I am as well. But we haven't seen the data from this phase three trial. It's a blinded trial. No one has really seen this data yet. But I think what Dr. Fauci has said, what others have said as well, is that it's not going to flip a switch even when the vaccine comes and that wearing masks indoors, especially now with the knowledge that this can spread through aerosols, uh, is, is going to be important for some time to come until we get to that, that uh, you know, 60, 70 percent, at least of the country being immunized and staying immunized. It's going to be hard to 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 let our guard down. I'm telling you, you're going to be wearing masks, at least in the blue states under law. Until. At least, at least, let me think, this time next year and, and probably beyond that. So if the Democrats have their way, you're, I would say it's going to be March of 2022 before they stop acting like mask psychos. I'm outside. I'm by myself. There's no within 30 feet. I'm wearing a mask. Oh, yeah, that's right. And tell me that it's not a political prop when Joe Biden is doing interviews from his basement in his home. And there's no one obviously within 15 feet of the guy you can see on the shot. And he's wearing a mask during an interview like a moron. Oh, but, you know, I don't know. There's no there's no reason. Why are people putting masks on for their profile photos on social media? Democrats are doing this in particular. Why? It's a it's a prop of a sick country, a country sick by because of Donald Trump. But one that will beat this thing if we all just take the collective action dictated to us by the expert class of Fauci and company. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, never before have we had such a willingness for uh, healthy people to live as though they are sick people because there are some people who are going to get sick no matter what the healthy people do. That's not good. That's not good quarantine policy. That's not good health policy, but that's where we are. I told you that even if Bi- if Biden wins, you're going to get a national mask mandate. They're going to politicize this even further. We're not done here, folks. I know people are sick of this. They're tired of it. Buck mask goes to the mask. 
They're taking away your freedom. They are making decisions for you. They do not have the right to do. Do people care about this or not? Including in some of the redder states. And look what's been going on in Texas. This is not just the New York thing, although New York is the worst. Just remember, we're going to be told to wear masks as we walk into a store for 30 seconds. But you're not going to wear masks sitting down in indoor dining. And you have been wearing masks in indoor dining all over New York state. New York City is just going to be opening up soon. But, uh, you know, Dr. Fauci wants you to know it is not true that they're putting too many restrictions on people and that there's too many costs from this. He, he's oh, I'm sorry. Is he a policy expert now? This guy's really a third tier intellect. He's really not very bright, folks. I, I know we're not. All, oh, he's a scientist. Oh, beg at the, you know, kneel before high priest Fauci. This guy doesn't this guy doesn't know squat. When was he right when it mattered? When was he right in advance of something? No, all along, he's like, you know, I, I think we're going to do this. And, then uh, you know, listen to the experts, the data, live in fear forever, shut down the economy, you know, maybe one day. Give it a few years, it'll go away. How would we have been better off? Uh, or rather, would we have been worse off without the CDC even existing? I- I'm just wondering. What would have been better if we had no CDC? That's a question that I want to ask. But here he, he thinks that people who are complaining about this are, uh, you know, we're, we're being uh, babies. Play two. It really depends upon the level of virus in the community that you're in. And that's where I think we get a lot of pushback and concern of people think that our recommendations are being too stringent and we're interfering with people's freedom to do what they want to do or getting in the way of opening up the economy. That's not the case at all. You've got to adjust your public health measures in the context of the situation you're in. Okay, Fouch. Five people died from COVID-19 in New York City, which has 8.7 million people yesterday. Five people. Still can't go into a restaurant, sit down and have a cheeseburger. Five. And they say, oh, Buck, but that's not important. It's kind of important to the 150,000 people whose jobs, whose ability to pay their bills and have health care. It's kind of important to them that we can do that. Uh, But we're we're adjusting our, our health policy, he says. 500 new cases in I'm sorry no no 260 new cases in New York City 8.5 million people larger than than a whole lot of entire states that's how big New York City is this place is vast a few hundred people a few hundred people with cases over 99% of whom will be totally fine and of the five people who died it's very sad every life is precious I'd be willing to guess just based on the numbers we've seen that the average age was 75 or 80, um, which is to say that this is dangerous to older people. The rest of us should be able to live our lives. This is nuts. But the mask mania is increasing right now, even as cases going down in New York, because it's political, friends. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. But this is uh, what the president wants to hide from us. 
He's got something going with Vladimir Putin. We know that. He is very, he's got a bromance with all of the dictators across the world. And it's not just Putin, but there seems to be a, something special regarding Putin. But you talk about Erdogan, you talk about Duterte, you talk about Kim Jong-un. He has, he, he loves these guys. Now, this is a president who wants to be authoritarian just like them. This is why the people of America have a choice in this election. And we're going to have the continuation of the Trump chaos and interference with institutions that would be should be telling us, American people, the truth? Or are we going to have a Joe Biden who will tell us the truth? You know, lying is not something that Joe Biden does, but it comes out of the president's mouth since the very first time he even set foot, even before then. In the White House. Who in Hawaii votes for this imbecile? I mean, I, I just want to know. I want to meet someone in Hawaii who's who who cast their vote for Maisie Hirono and feels good about it. <laughs> I mean, I, you could say you don't like the Republican. If you're a Democrat, I get it. You know, whatever. Fine. I'm not going to win that argument. But I just want to know who's like, yeah, Maisie, that's who we want to be making important decisions for our state. Trump has a bromance with the dictators of the world. Foreign policy has been one of these areas during the Trump administration where uh, the results are just objectively better than what you had under the very haughty Obama foreign policy team that came in and, oh, we're not going to do stupid stuff, they said. And then they did really stupid stuff. It was uh, Obama who drew the red line in Syria and then didn't do anything. Obama and Hillary Clinton, really, that pushed for the toppling of Gaddafi in Libya without any real plan or idea of what was going to come next. The rise of ISIS, which led to mass casualty terrorist attacks on European and U.S. soil. Things getting worse in Iraq, worse in Afghanistan. Our relationship with, I mean, name a country we had that was a place where we were challenged beforehand and and you will have a place that Obama made things worse. But this line about how Trump loves dictators so much, it's just too much fun for the libs to say. It's just too uh, too easy to take this this cheap shot all the time. Look, Trump, you know, he tried his unorthodox approach with Kim Jong-un and it has not worked. Okay, it hasn't worked. I live in reality. He tried but the, the thing that the libs never understood about North Korea diplomacy was that Trump made no concessions. There, there was nothing lost in this. There was no uh, there was any of the all. But he's talked to him directly. Well, how are you ever going to get a breakthrough if you don't actually have a real discussion with the leader of a country? That's a true autocracy. Trump tried. Hasn't worked yet. Maybe it would work in the next four years. But unlike when Obama was on the world bowing toward all the different dictators and then giving pallets of cash to the Iranians and signing that horrific Iran nuclear deal. Uh, unlike the Obama administration, there's nothing you could point to that is a problem here that has been made worse as a result of Trump's foreign policy. If anything, he's the first president in a very long time who hasn't started a war in a country. It is possible. It is possible to not dr- get drawn into a war uh, or go deeper into a pre-existing war as president of the United States, that is something that we have seen now that is not uh, beyond the scope of, of possibility. And they hate the president for this. They hate him for this because foreign policies are particularly for people who work in the news, and the news media. 
They believe that it's a way to separate themselves from the less knowing. They think that their sophistication shows because they know uh, the name of a foreign capital before they go on air that they just Googled five minutes before that. They think that this is how they uh, distinguish themselves from the hoi polloi and all of this. And uh, that's why they one of the reasons why they hate Trump so very much right now on this issue and why they're going to continue to talk about how he is a a stooge for dictators or he's got a bromance, as Maisie Hirono says. Uh, I mean, Obama had a bromance with the Castro regime, with the Maduro regime in Venezuela. Uh, Obama was bowing to the mullahs in Tehran, you know. Uh, you're not going to you're not going to have ISIS doing what it did under Trump administration. ISIS figured that Obama was going to be too risk averse to really handle the problem. And they were right. They were right. And we saw the results of that. But uh, on foreign policy, you're not going to hear that much about it. They're going to keep with this nonsense about the bromance and all the rest of that, because anyone who's really watching this would say, hold on a second. Trump was supposed to be a catastrophic failure. We're going to get World War Three, they said. And instead, you get Mideast peace deals that none of his predecessors were able to get done. You get no new wars and you get a, a confrontation on trade with China where everyone said, don't do that. Don't do that. Trump did it. And he was right. He was right to do it. He was right to finally confront. Chinese predatory trade policies that they were enriching the Chinese Communist Party at the expense of Americans and American companies. Obama administration didn't do a darn thing about it. They sat around. And the Republicans were, in a sense, also guilty on this one uh, because they went along with it. They figured we're all going to be more... um, we're all going to be more wealthy because, well, at least they're going to be, no, not, not you. They were going to be more wealthy because of free trade and big corporations offshoring jobs. Who needs jobs in America? We're all just going to have really cheap stuff from Walmart made in China. That was the deal. It wasn't a good deal, was it? The president understands that the, the Biden record, especially on foreign policy and on China and a whole bunch of things, the Biden record is a major weak spot for these Democrats. Uh, play 19. Joe Biden should not be asking for your support. He should be begging for your forgiveness, and he should be. Biden supported the disastrous Trans-Pacific Partnership. This building wouldn't be here if you ever did that one, which would have been a death sentence for the U.S. auto industry and other industries. He supported the horrendous Korea deal. Okay, how about the South Korea deal? It's a uh, disaster. So that was a Hillary Clinton deal, I must say. Not him, although I guess he had it. You know, his vice. Hey, you know what's interesting with Biden? So... He always says, why didn't the president do this? And why didn't the president do that? And why didn't do this and that and this and that? The guy's been there for 47 years, but he just left like three and a half years ago. You know, I mean, he was there. And I keep saying, uh, why didn't you do it? Why didn't you do it? You know, could have done it. It's not like he was 25 years ago. They were there three and a half years ago. Why didn't you do it, Sleepy Joe? What is the big Biden accomplishment? Anyone want to point to it? Anyone want to explain? It seems to me that his biggest accomplishment has been to be a an intense mediocrity who's gotten reelected to the Senate over the course of several decades. That's his biggest accomplishment. He's the quintessential politician who just wants to get reelected. That's what matters to him. Wants to be in that position, get that salary, have that influence. That's it. 
There's been nothing else. This guy's not about public service. And he's also not about saying the Pledge of Allegiance correctly. Play 16. This was Biden yesterday. America. I pledge allegiance to the United States of America. One nation. Indivisible under God for real. Huh? It's like the truncated Biden version there. <sighs> they, they, they know he's a loser, folks, but they think this time they can just make him into a winner. They can carry him across the finish line. That is the plan. And here is his promise to all of you in the meantime. Play 15. I'm running as a proud Democrat, but I'm not going to govern as a Democratic president. I'm going to govern as president. I get criticized for saying that sometimes for some in my party, but that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to fight as hard for those who supported me as those who did not support me. This is not a partisan moment, for God's sake. This has to be an American moment. He's really insulting our intelligence there, isn't he? Yeah, sure. He's got. How is he going to fight as hard for those who didn't vote for him? By having more government regulations on the businesses that they want to work for or start and open themselves? By increasing government intervention in a whole bunch of different ways in the marketplace to raise the price of things, to raise taxes? What exactly is Biden going to do that makes your life better? Hopefully he won't as we've seen with previous Democrat administrations, come up with some humanitarian, quote, humanitarian reason to send your sons and daughters off to some godforsaken country to go fight a war that we don't need to fight. Look, I, I to this day, I learned quite a lesson from the Bush years, and it's one that I, I also learned from doing at some level, uh, having gone to Iraq and Afghanistan during the Bush years. And... Uh, there, there, there was a lesson learned there about the Republican foreign policy establishment, neocon interventionism, and never again, folks, not something we should ever do. And the Republican Party, instead of focusing on the domestic policy issues that really mattered and should have mattered to the American people, uh, did go with some foreign uh, adventurism, if you will, foreign policy interventionism that had very negative outcomes. And was not worth the was not worth the price tag, certainly in lives lost and, and also in, in treasure spent. So I think that we're past that now as as a Republican Party. We're, we're not going to go to war because some bad thing is happening in some other country. And it makes libs feel sad on their way to the farmer's market in, you know, Palo Alto. That, that, that's actually not because they're not the ones who are going to be all fighting that war, by the way. Just remember that the. Uh, you know, the think tank interventionists and the various neocons within the government, they're not the ones that are uh, the ones that are pushing for these ideas. Often they're, they're not signing up to fight anything, sending you over there, sending your children, your grandchildren over there. So that's a big foreign policy shift, too, because remember, Democrats are very happy to go to war when it's not just in America's interest. They're very happy to go to war just because it makes them feel good about some issue. Right. They'll actually send people off to fight so that they feel better about what's happening in some other part of the world, which is, a, in my view, a, a grotesque betrayal of what it should mean to deploy U.S. military force for the policy class. It should not be for the benefit of non-Americans in some place that is not a strategic and, and critical U.S. national security interest. So I hope that's a lesson that we've all learned. But just on foreign policy in general, their criticisms of Trump are, are annoying. Oh, and, and I, I, have, I forgot. There's a, a story today at Politico I saw about how there's a sec 
secret CIA, not so secret anymore, apparently, a secret CIA assessment that says that Putin is running information operations online to defame President Biden. I don't, I don't even know if I, if I have the, the patience to go into this in, in any particular detail. I mean, this is just stupid beyond words. First of all, as somebody who used to write assessments for the CIA, there are a lot of things that get written in that building, and most of them are worthless, and a lot of them are wrong. I'm just telling you the truth. Most CIA analysis is just the process is the product. We're paying people to look at this thing, and they're writing papers that very few people who actually make any decisions. It's one of the reasons I left the CIA. I was like, what, what am I even, if I want to influence the administration, I have much more influence now than I did when I was a CIA analyst. Even when I would go on Capitol Hill or go to the White House, I mean, occasionally getting to speak to the president directly, I guess you have some influence as a CIA analyst. But that was very rare. People were shocked I was so young I was able to even do that. But, you know, in general, it's a lot of just busy work, a lot of nonsense. But, oh, the CIA, the same CIA that had the WMD assessments, right? That CIA for the Iraq war, uh, they're, they're now saying that Putin, they're, they're not certain. They're saying they, they think probably. Probably uh, Putin is doing information operations to defame Joe Biden. You know, what the best information operation to defame Joe Biden is letting the man speak. Letting him out of the basement. I think today they put a lid on Biden. They call it on the campaign. Uh, sorry, a lid on Biden. Let me out. Let me out. It's not like that. Uh, they put a lid on on the campaign, which means that they're shut, basically shutting down any public appearances or statements or anything for Biden for the rest of the day. They put it a, a lid on at 9 a.m. This guy doesn't have it, folks, but they don't remember the same attitude they have about they'll burn down the system, they'll tear down the system, they'll do whatever they have to do to be in power. The mission here is just to get people uh, to, to fool people who are not partisan Democrats into voting for Joe Biden in, in some swing states, and then they'll do whatever they have to do afterwards to get what they want. They don't care beyond that. right? They don't care what norms they break. and That's all. It's all nonsense understand the opposition here and you will understand exactly what's really uh, possible. So they won't feel they, they won't be uh, upset if they end up they, they won't feel ashamed if six months after a Joe Biden victory, they go, yeah, looks like Joe's not feeling well. So he's going to step aside and Kamala Harris is now the president of the United States. They're going to think they've pulled off a coup or, you know, a planned transfer of power uh, they think they're going to have pulled off an amazing uh, an amazing scheme and will have saved the country in the process that's what they really believe so don't think that there's anything that's really beyond them you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast one thing i just want to know from yesterday uh before we get into into roll call here you had uh, Bill de Blasio, who's so upset, you had this DOJ designation of New York, Seattle and Portland as zones of anarchy. Uh, the de Blasio administration, because he's he's busy ruining New York City. De Blasio administration was it was fascinating what he had to say about this play 12. I, you know, I was out in Elmer's Queens this morning. I, I saw uh, peace, tranquility. I saw people going about their business, people excited that it's the first day of school. I saw anything but anarchy. So 
This is just another one of President Trump's games. It's thoroughly political. It's part of his campaign strategy. It makes no sense. It has not, it's not based in the facts in the least. It's insulting to the people of New York City. And his effort to withhold our funding is unconstitutional. Yeah. Sure it is, buddy. It's... <laughs> oh, man. It's amazing to hear de Blasio talk about this. The guy's ruining the largest city in America. And he is the, really the Democrat, uh, the Democrat epitome of poor government, uh, governance now. That is a drag of what you see happening in these major cities. This is a drag on the Democrats hopes this fall. We all know it. They're just pretending like it's not actually happening. But, you know, in New York, even Governor Cuomo was like it was an embarrassment that night. The purge night, I call it, when there were mobs running outside my own home here in New York. This was very real to me. I could hear them. I could I saw the the shattered glass and broken windows and everything next morning. And. Uh, this mob that was running around was effectively able to run free because de Blasio doesn't want rioting, law-breaking crybabies to have to deal with the big, bad, mean NYPD. So they get to break stuff, ruin stuff. You had those two pampered lawyers threw a Molotov cocktail into a cop car here. That happened in New York, folks. I mean, this is... Let's not forget the insanity that this country has been through all because of Democrats. All because they didn't get their way or they feel like there's too much oppression or there's injustice and then gives them a license to act like total maniacs. Gives them a license to just ruin things for everybody else because they feel like it. Oh, okay. Well, I gotta tell you, it's pretty astonishing to watch this continue. But the only way we get justice, friends, November 3rd. Just remember that. That's the only way. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Liberty, truth, and great hair. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call, everybody. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to email us. And remember, BuckSexton.com. Go check it out. You can listen to the podcast there. We have the best of Buck now daily. If you just want to listen to a 45-minute condensed version of the show, it's about 45, producer Mark. Is that right? An hour, yeah, under an hour. Minutes. Usually, we try to keep it under an hour. We'll keep a, under an hour. We'll shoot for under an hour. You know, an hour or less. I think is what we'll we'll try to shoot for. You know, it might be sixty two minutes one day and fifty four another or whatever. But we'll try to keep it under an hour. Um, but if you want to listen to a condensed version of the show, you've got that option too. Um, and that way, we kind of pull the ones that we think you most. Because sometimes I go two or even three segments on one topic. So the condensed version of the the best of Buck Daily will be. We'll move along faster into into the different topics, so you'll kind of get a a shorter version of the show. For those of you that like to listen on demand of the podcast, uh, please do check that out. That's in our. It's in the same feed. You don't have to write. They don't have to subscribe to anything new. It's just that's what's popping up in their feed now. Is that right? Yes. Okay. That is correct. Just, just making sure. Um, and also go to BucksAxonBook.com if you want to buy the Socialism Survival Guide dealing with the biggest issues in this election. It's really an election and beyond book. 
uh, looking at the economy as well. And there's some advice from my friends at Stansbury Research about financial decisions that you can make in response to these political realities that we're facing now of socialism. So uh, BuckSextonBook.com. Sign up for a Stansbury newsletter there. You'll get a copy of the book. Uh, Please do check that out. And with that, I move to your thoughts, your comments, your musings, and another uh, wonderful acts of whimsy. And that's, I'm kind of run out of my ability to, um, producer Mark, where did, where did it, where did it go? I'm trying to, I'm actually trying to find the role. Is it in the thing? Yeah, yeah it's it in, the in the same thing. email. It's in the same email. It's every day. Sorry. There we go. And the same email is every day. Correct. All right. Dan is up first. He writes, this is an interesting way to start one. As a degenerate sports gambler, I find it quite simple to gauge the strength of one's conviction. Bet on it. Not long ago, my liberal friend from Boston was pontificating on the recklessness of professional sports for resuming in the U.S. We strongly disagree on the dangers of COVID for those younger than 60. So I proposed a bet. If anyone across all four major league sports, MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, and even soccer dies of COVID in 2020, I will pay him $1,000. He would owe me $1,000 if no one dies. Surprise, surprise, he declined. My offer still stands, and I even sweeten it to include anyone who is simply hospitalized for get death. Liberals don't believe any of this nonsense themselves. They enjoy whatever illusion of authority an entirely false pretense provides as their real lives consist of no real control. My wager offer stands, and if you know anyone who would like to take me up on it, then in the immortal words of Al Bundy, let's rock. Were you a married with children watcher back in the day, producer Mark? Uh, I've seen episodes here and there, but I think it was a little before my time. It was a little early. Yeah, I was I was very young when that show was on. That show I remember was really popular for a while. That show was like a phenomenon. Yeah, I definitely watched episodes in syndication on like TBS. You know, when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Al. She went on to be in Sons of Anarchy. The woman who played Peggy. Uh. Beal, I think, is her name. Something Beal. Anyway, not Jessica Beal. Yeah, I was going to say Jessica Beal. No, married Justin Timberlake. I know. Whatever. You can't Whatever. be sad about that anymore. You have the Snow Princess. Correct. Correct. Well, obviously, it all worked out in the end. So there's that. Uh, plus, she's a. I think she got in some trouble for some anti-vax. Oh, Katie. Katie. Uh, yeah, Katie Seagal. I think is her name, or Seagal Seagal. I don't know. Not being confused with Steven Seagal. Man, I watched a lot of martial arts movies back in the day. That's actually my big complaint, my only real complaint about the Cobra Kai series. I just wish the martial arts were a little better. You know, I mean, karate, you know, if you're throwing throwing like high kicks in a fight, I mean, good luck to you. You're probably going to get your face pounded in. But I'm just saying. But uh, I know someone's going to write me like, Buck, I can throw a flying tornado kick that would that would take down any assailant. Armed or unarmed instantly. And I'm like, okay, I'm glad the Taekwondo has convinced you that the spinning high kick is a, a high <laughs> high percentage move in a life and death uh, self-defense situation. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, I, w- I just wish the karate in I wish the karate in the karate kid was better. You know, Ralph Macchio never learned any karate, really. I mean, he did a little bit for the for the movies, but. The Zabka and I'm real. I'm really kind of a, a Johnny Lawrence fan. I'm just going to say it. 
uh, Zabka, who plays Johnny Lawrence in the in the Cobra Kai as well as in the original Karate Kid movies, he became a green belt. He actually, you know, got a grounding in karate. So I, I give him credit for that. I feel like if you're going to be known for being the bad guy from the Karate Kid, like you got to learn a little karate. But Ralph Macchio, I don't know, too busy doing other things. Uh, fun fact, producer Mark, my mother was in a bubble yum commercial with Ralph Macchio. Um, and it is on YouTube. Huh? Yeah. What Back a random little fact. 1979, 1980, something like that. My mom was, uh, was in commercials back then. And, uh, yeah, she was in a commercial with Ralph Macchio. And it's actually a good commercial too. Like it, it really, you know, it sells that bubble gum. Tell you that it makes you really want to chew gum. Yes. Hmm. It makes you really want to chew gum. You know, to this day, I can't, uh, I can't blow a bubble. Yeah, I can't either. And I've tried. I've, I've been in a car before, and I've been... That, my dentist wants me to start chewing gum because I, I talk so much during the day. My mouth gets dried out, which is very bad for your teeth. I don't know if you know that. Isn't if you talk a lot, that. your mouth gets dry, and then it's... I probably should be drinking water instead of coffee, which I'm just reminded of that now. Although I love my coffee. So, anyway. The great right. Vin Scully used to uh, chew on uh, Jolly Ranchers in his mouth. Have the Jolly Rancher in his mouth during every game. I'm pretty sure that would turn your teeth into uh, rotting cesspools. I believe a uh, sugar-free Jolly Rancher. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Hard, hard sugar candy is not good for your teeth. See, I believe in science. Hashtag science. Hashtag, hashtag dentists. Uh, totally. All right, Richard. Buck. Uh, hello, my friend. So at first I was on the fence with replacing the notorious RBG. The Biden rule has been around since Bush the elder, right? But there is no good faith from the Dems and Obama di- disposed of that rule. So why should we let the Democrats dictate the rules? I think I read Carter appointed a justice during the lame duck session before Reagan. If it was OK then. What's wrong with it now? We should win and put a conservative in now. The Dems are going to writhe in rage. It's going to get crazy. Hold your gavels and shields high. Well, Richard, I agree with your final assessment that we should just do this thing. I think that's the right move. And I think that all this talk about self-imposed, you know, congressional. I mean, a congressional rule that's not really a rule, meaning it's just something that someone in Congress says is just a a statement of politics. Right. Oh, we're going to vote on this now or we're not going to vote on this now because we're anything that involves discretion for these elected leaders when it comes to appointments of people to these offices is just political by its very nature. So I don't care what was said before. I, I don't care what they said. It was a different time. It was different. You know, I, I'm not going to. Yeah, of course, people have flip flop depending on which which uh, side of the issue now benefits them. And that's what I expect. These are politicians. That's what they do. They mislead. It's part of the job, unfortunately. Michael writes, Buck, you asked if Trump isn't reelected, will the GOP survive? I've thought that many times in my life, but the GOP is more like the cat came back. But we thought he was a goner, but the cat came back because he couldn't just stay away. Producer Mark, is that like a song lyric? Is what a song lyric? The cat came back. We thought he was a goner, but the cat came back because he just couldn't stay away. What is that? What is Michael trying to? Is, is that some inside thing? I'm, I'm just saying. I don't you think what, so. No. Like, you know how think, cats just wander? I guess I always think of Cat Stevens and you got a lady over you got you got some Zima you got a six pack. Of there Zima, is a, a song. I just Googled the cat came back. There's a song and a movie. 
there maybe we go. It's a reference. See, it's a reference. That's I, I could smell reference there or read it, I suppose. But yeah. God, I miss the late 90s. Friends, Zima, Grunge Rock. Or good shows like Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Not as good as Friends, but still. Uh, what keeps the GOP alive is its belief and moral base and the thought, where are we all going to go? Also, people like Reagan, Trump, Cruz, Meadows, and the new up-and-coming people that convince us there is hope and to try once again. Unfortunately, we in the GOP get stuck with the McCains, Romneys, Murkowskis, Collins, and Bushes, who are more interested in their personal power and gratification and are at best chair warmers for the Democrats. They see their place and don't care about the future of this nation or their own party for that matter. Uh, yeah, look, there's no shortage of disappointing Republicans out there. I don't think there's any question about that. And uh, I, look, I, I hope that the most dire prognostications about the future of the GOP, if Biden were to win this thing, I, I hope that those are untrue. I hope that we are able to come back. But I can see a future in which it's not it's just uh, remember this. Let's say the GOP only goes into the political wilderness for 20 or 30 years. Well, that's much of the rest of my life. So so do I really care if the GOP comes back to be a majority party in 40 years? I mean, yeah, for my imaginary yet kids and grandkids, maybe. But for me, it's not going to make all that much difference. So it's also why it's so important for everybody to have parts of their lives that are not political and to think about things other than politics. That's why I totally get why producer Mark just wants to you know, watch sports and why these days I'm playing a little bit of call of duty on PlayStation four. I mean, you just need to give your, and I really should be like, you know, praying and working out more. Uh, but you, you need these areas of your life. You understand where all this stuff, ultimately you don't want to be a nihilist, like nothing matters, but can't let the politics seep into every realm of your brain. You got to have those those places where you have inner peace and you have a greater sense of purpose. That's why people uh, belief in God is, is, I think, so necessary, not just helpful, but necessary in life. Um, Michael. Oh, no, we already did Michael. We'll come back with more in a sec. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. TJ writes, Buck, I agree with you and Rush that cocaine Mitch should consider foregoing the SCOTUS nominee Senate hearings and go straight to a vote. However, I would contend that assuming we can still get the vote done in a short amount of time following the hearings, such hearings may actually be politically expedient for Republicans as they will show in some form or another the complete lunacy of the left, especially in regards to the anti-Catholic bigotry you mentioned yesterday. That will only create a bigger divide between sensible people and the Democrat Party. Uh, with all that being said, for the sake of the future nominee's integrity, the most respectable thing to do would be to forego the hearing process to avoid the libel and slander that will undoubtedly be on show for whomever Trump's nominee is. My prediction, hearings will be held, and one, if not both, of Collins and Murkowski will end up voting for the nominee. Uh, yeah, TJ, I didn't know that the great Rush Limbaugh agreed with me on this one. So thanks for letting me know that. I, I think we should have a vote right now. Name her. That's going to be a her. Name her. Vote on her. Get it done. There's nothing to be. People that say, oh, we'll see how crazy the Democrats are. To, mm, 
Yeah, but you're extended. Who knows? You're taking risk, friends. You know, why, you know, why even speak to the FBI if you don't have to, even if you're innocent? You're taking a risk. Say nothing, right? You know, my, some of my most, what are the two things of advice that I'm positive when I tell you, wear comfortable shoes, never talk to the FBI. <laughs> I feel like I'm making people's lives better by just telling them those two things for the, for the purposes of the Buck Sexton show. Wear comfortable shoes, never talk to the FBI. And I, I, don't see, I don't see the advantage here. I don't see the upside in putting, or putting her through this. Uh, so there you have it. There you have it. I, I just think that this is all downside. And I could be wrong, but we're, t- we're taking a risk. Remember what the Democrats tried to do with the FBI investigation? of Cabinet? They were just stalling for time to put more pressure on people. You don't know what kind of pressure they're, they're going to bring to bear. You don't know what member of the Senate all of a sudden is going to get a you know, a phone call from some oppo researcher, some Republican senator you're not even thinking of saying, hey, you know, your your daughter is, uh, you know, she's uh, a principal of this company. And we think there might be some some financial impropriety going on there. I don't want her to be caught up in a white collar criminal thing. But, you know, you really got an important vote here, Senator so and so, you know, I mean, that's the kind of pressure I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just, you know, shrieking lunatics yelling at people like Jeff Flake, and then Jeff Flake soils himself. Eh, I'm so scared. Uh, I'm talking about real pressure. You're just extending the time for them to figure out a way to get to a couple Republican senators. A couple of them. It's all it takes. Julie writes, here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, we have an ice rink in town by the name of Hobbs. The liberal city, con- county, and health department have the homeless population housed on one of the rinks. The kids have now started hockey and other ice skating practice. They are sharing the building with the homeless. This is under approval of city management. In addition, the skaters are required to wear masks while on the ice playing hockey. This is not recommended by the CDC or USA Hockey. We continue to struggle with how to stand up for our kids and make changes. Julie, I'm sorry to hear that. And... uh. You know, you're seeing a lot of this. I've seen this, too, that I have to wear a mask in my gym. That's not CDC guidance. That's Cuomo guidance. Why are they making this crap up? Or at least that's not World Health Organization guidance. I don't know. Maybe it is CDC guidance now. I mean, they're but don't ask about why they're changing. They're changing because it's so important now. Oh, okay. Sure it is. Anybody who believes that crap, I don't know. It's too far gone for me to be able to save their minds at this point. Uh, But yeah, the the arbitrary restrictions, the use of power during this period of time. Very, very troubling. I'm sorry about that, Julie, but just, you know, keep your kids safe and just stay in the fight. We'll get through it. See, and that's my message for all of us. Stay in the fight. We'll get through it. It's going to be one heck of a ride here as we get close to the election. But understand this, that the uh, relief, if the election goes our way, will be short-lived too. So, shields high. 